Welcome to episode 229 of the Winning Six Podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and join me as always, my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, we're here for the first of our two free agency specials. Special is a bit grandiose, isn't it, really? I mean, am I over? am I overplaying it? What is a word under grandiose? I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. <laughs> um, we're at the point in time where you know things could change quickly. So, for the benefit of all of you listening, I'm gonna give you. We're recording this at just before three thirty Central Time on Thursday, June twenty eighth. Um. If this gets posted, it will likely still be relevant by the time it posts, but if it quickly dates after that, hey, you know why? We're doing our best. So with that out of the way, the kind of thing we only have to do at this time of the year, Jordan, let's get into it. The books have a very interesting, we could say a few days, but there's also the possibility it could be a few weeks ahead of them in terms of free agency. What's your overall feeling going into this? We're obviously in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about the potential outgoings. But to lead off with overall feeling on everything, so on the options that are out there and the decisions they have to face, on obviously the restricted money they have to offer, is this a really bad free agency for the books? Is it a good free agency? Have they got more options than people are giving them credit for? Where are you falling on all of this and the decisions that are going to have to be made in the near future? Well, I think it's twofold, as we will get into. The outgoings, and one in particular, <laughs> is very petrified, and it, I sweat at the thought of whatever's going to happen. But uh, I do think there are some solid kind of buy-low, high-reward uh, players out there that can be had for reasonable prices, and... Maybe that's, you know, the optimism, the hopefulness that everything pans out if you pick up a guy and you build him up into this kind of nice piece and to have your in your foundation or a nice asset that you can maybe turn into something else over time. Who knows? But I do think they're – I don't think it's all that hopeless in terms of finding, um, you know – guys to fill out your roster with the limited resources that they have. Obviously they can be outbid by other teams that may have more cap space or may have more um, other resources available or maybe better situations too. If they're, if 
maybe it's like a contending team or more competitive team, whatever. But I think the Bucks can do something interesting. Obviously, if there's a big if they will do what we hope that they can do. But obviously, it all starts with whatever happens with Jabari Parker. I think this is about as good as free agency could set up if you're a team in a situation like the books are, where you've really got very little flexibility to play with. You have a lot of tough decisions facing you. And let's be frank, they're, they're desperately in need of finding guys who can make an impact or guys who can at least give real minutes in their rotation. And with that in mind, this is a really, really deep free agency class in terms of role players, in terms of guys who are super capable. Um, role players is may give even an impression that I'm talking about just bench guys. I'm, I'm not. I'm talking about like strong fourth, fifth starters on good teams. There are a lot of those guys out there. There are very few teams with cap space. And if you want to look at teams that are kind of good with cap space, that number shrinks even further. So in terms of playoff teams, you're going to be bidding with for guys who want to be in a good situation, maybe slightly higher profile guys who've already made some money. There's not going to be the money they want. There are going to be lots of good players who are going to have to settle for short-term deals. A lot of players will probably want to just sign one-year deals and get back in next summer when a lot of the the money from the summer of 2016 will will clear for most teams unless they sign four-year deals like the books did. And, you know, with that, quality guys are guaranteed on being there and falling if you can convince them to join you and if you're smart enough to find them. Now, there are two questions or two points that may make books fans a little bit nervous of whether they'd be interested in that. But... I think there are real options here and there there could be a potential scenario where the books with just exceptions and say a veteran minimum signing could come out of this with the roster in a spot where you're like, wow, they've really improved this summer without any significant means to do so. And that's encouraging. I think there's a lot of pessimism and people like us probably have played into that because where very often kind of we open up the mailbag, there'll be what if the books trade this or trade that or go after this free agent. And they're normally kind of marquee guys. And in that scenario, we're very much keen to point out, you know, they don't have cap space. <laughs> they just can't do all of these things. They can't go after all these players that everyone wants them to go after. They don't have cap space. I think there might be a degree of pessimism just on what they can do, maybe based off of that kind of conversation for a long time. But there are actually some really good players and good players who just could fall this year, could fall and have to settle for a mid-level. And it's up to the books whether they want to have a full non-taxpayer mid-level available to offer some of those guys or whether they're going in a different direction. And as you touched on, Jordan, that will all come down to what they do with Jabari Parker. Will we get straight into it? We might as well. Uh... I mean, I, I think I annoyed a few people with my Dante DiVincenzo opinions last time out. So I'm probably going to hit a home run with where I'm at with Jabari Parker right now. Um, I might as well be honest and lead off with it because I think it's there's no point pretending otherwise to talk about this. We'll talk about it. But personally, I'm very much out on the idea of the books resigning Jabari. Um, it comes with so much risk for 100 different reasons. And I don't know 
if it's a greater risk to let him go at this point and try a different option. We'll get into some of the some of the reasoning in that and the areas where you know you could certainly make a case for bringing back Jabari or where we could all continue to fancy of well Jabari clicks and it all works out this way for the books and he guides them to championship contention. But on the whole, I, I think all things considered, if we're being rational, it's very difficult to get into a position where you can say the books need to commit to this guy because he he isn't Yanis in this situation. Yanis is the star. And the concern already among the fans, and I'm sure internally in the organization, is we need to have the flexibility to be able to do everything to build a great team around Yanis. If you sign Jabari to not even a lucrative deal, but look how much we talk about, say, Delvadova's deal, Henson's deal, Tony Snell's deal. Like they may end up being on the high end for Jabari, depending on the situation, but they could be what a lot of people would deem as fair. If he signed a deal like that but had that had years on them, that could that could be the thing that sinks the books because that's the extra bit of kind of lack of flexibility. Where if he had one more injury, and we all know if he had one more injury, his career could be over. If his attitude wasn't great, if he doesn't get the contract he wants and he's back in the situation he didn't want to be in and the fit still isn't ideal. There are a lot of things here to me that just, it's hard to balance out and just be like, oh, but the potential of what he can be. I mean, at this point, what we what we know he is, is a wildly inconsistent defender. And that's if I'm being kind, a pretty inconsistent player overall with a really troubling injury history. I mean, it doesn't get much worse at his age than having had two ACL injuries and he did break his foot in college as well. So, I mean, it's not even just that. He has an extensive injury history. And then you're saying all that, and it's not like he's the perfect fit for Giannis or for Chris Middleton, who is also deemed as a key piece, it seems, by the organization. So with all that for me, I, I think this is a very, very... It's a very, very tough spot for the books in terms of this is a guy they picked second overall who they envisioned as a cornerstone guy but i think they have to be careful that they don't get too precious about that because when you assess what your barry situation is now where the team is at what the team needs that doesn't really add up to let's sign jabari and i think the the best way of kind of presenting this to books fans i think if they're honest themselves even people who are quite high on jabari if jabari wasn't the books free agent this summer if he was someone else's free agent no books fan would be advocating go and throw Jabari Parker and offer sheet and see if we can steal him away and restricted free agent. Everyone be saying he doesn't play defense. His attitude is questionable. His injury history is terrifying. This is the way to throw the whole thing away. This is, this could be what brings the whole project around Yanis down and really forces a bright future to Peter out at nothing. And I think it doesn't get discussed often enough how our, obviously our familiarity with Jabari, I think I'll speak for myself. I think I speak for you too, and probably most books fans. As a person, and when you look at the things he does away from basketball, the things he says, obviously the challenges we've all had to watch him overcome, you root for Jabari. It's hard not to like him in that sense. But this isn't like, <laughs> this isn't the game of making friends. This isn't the, this isn't the league where you can keep Rashad Vaughn around true to his final year and give him a new deal because he's good at dancing in huddles and he does kind of 
funny Instagram lives. This is this is the NBA, and you've got a superstar talent that you may not see with this franchise for. I'm just going to go off, you know, historical evidence here. Over 40 years, you have to be careful with the risks you take. And a lot of the time, I think it's put as, you know, you've got to take the risk on Jabari because he's the guy who can push them over the edge if it all works out. I was in that camp for a long time. And honestly, the playoffs and his weird comments and just the whole change in his demeanor late in the year really turned me off that. But I, I, I do think in time there's been something of a realization I've come to. The other way of kind of looking at that is the risk in just saying no. That's that's taking a risk too. And that may be the winning risk in this scenario, being brave enough to say, look, this just hasn't gone how we anticipated. This is the NBA. Things don't always work out as you expected. That's how Yanis is now the superstar and Jabari is in this situation. What's best for the team is to move on. What's best for the team is to move on, have a little bit more flexibility this summer, have a lot more flexibility next summer and going forward. And for me, that's where I'm at. I I just think you weigh the two things up. What are the odds of Jabari Parker being the perfect version of Jabari Parker you want him to be, where you tie him down for multiple years and next summer it's not something that people are talking about and being like, the books can't do anything in free agency again because Jabari's there. Or the books are going into the tax just to bring Middleton back or Middleton and Brogdon back, and they've no option to do anything else to improve the team. If you want avenues that this team can get better at some point, they have to retain flexibility. And betting on a guy who there are a lot of very prominent reasons not to bet on him is not the best way of doing that for me. Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm firmly in that line of thinking camp whatever you call it um like any jabari conversation i think it's i think it's gone way past the point of having a rational conversation because there's always people that are going to look at him as you know the second overall pick the guy that has brilliant talent he was a high school star college star all this stuff and you're going to look at there's going to be the other half that are fervent uh you know, anti-Jabari. Um, and that case has only been bolstered with just how weird the end of the season went for him. And I think that's kind of getting lost in the shuffle, honestly, because, you know, other things have come our way with obviously Boonholzer being hired, new uh, uh, DiVincenzo getting drafted. Um, I thought the recent low post with Kevin Arnovitz, I thought they hit on a point that I did not think about at all, What, which was... Jabari is not a bud player at all. hundred percent. And I, I had thought of it, and they, to be honest, I believe it was Arnovitz who brought it up as well. Bledsoe equally is not a bud player. And now you exactly. have a coach that you're investing in, and they've been very vocal about this This isn't just a coach them. They, they are doing the thing that they wanted to do for a lot of times in trying to build a culture, and obviously that comes with bringing bud staff over as well. They're making him very central to everything. I think he's going to be at every press conference you're going to see. You're going to talk about him being consulted in every personnel move, whether people feel comfortable with that or not. I don't think it will be how it will be read into as much as we want this guy's input and we want him to help shape us, make us a better organization, make us a winning team. That's why I think not only did they interview him, who was obviously a longtime Spurs assistant and a successful coach with the Hawks, but they 
interviewed all those other Spurs people. You know, the Spurs, yeah. the Spurs train of thought ran very obviously throughout the coaching search. And I think the culture thing, which has been kind of empty in recent years, we talked about a lot, but there's not really been a lot of substance behind it. I, I would guess that ownership and management are pretty tired of that and they want to build a culture and they really want to invest in that. And yeah, part of that does come with, okay, starting to make roster decisions around who are our best players, what is our coach's greatest skills, and how do we make all of those things perform together in the most efficient and the best way possible? Yeah. And I just, I, I don't know. There, I've seen some conversations and obviously I think what it comes down to ultimately, there are no, there's no winners in this, whatever mm-hmm. happens. What is the damage is already done? You lose a potential all star. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to realize his all star potential, but with the injuries and everything else that has happened over the last four years, the damage is done. Like the asset that Jabari, if you're just looking from an asset uh, base, he has no value to the Bucks at all right now. You can't move him. You can't, you can obviously sign him, but I don't think that (laughs) helps him either. Um, I just think that if you, come to that realization that kind of makes it much easier to at least be open to the idea that he's not going to be on the Bucks, depending on what happens, obviously. But I just find it strange because I've seen a lot of people compared to, you know, Bucks have not had a lot of great contracts on their books the last couple of years. We obviously know that. Mm-hmm. But I find it strange to kind of compare, you know, guys like that were built with fit in mind or brought in with fit in mind with, you know, guys like Delhi, Mirza, Toastel, obviously, you know, these guys are very much role players. I think even, and, even Hanson to a degree, his contract yes. was, you know, at the time when everything was about lengths and athleticism and he fit that mold. And he was coming off a great, his probably his definitely his best year to that point. You know, they had a resurgent year. Um, and I, I look whenever people kind of like, oh, well, if they gave out contracts to this, they can easily give out, you know, throw out a lengthy four year deal that's, you know, 15. I don't know. Just throw out a, a, a contract for Jabari, it, roughly in line with what has been rumored to be uh, the deal that he turned down. Um, and I just kind of I think it's strange because you look at his talent and obviously it it's there and there's obviously a lot of things that are in the way of of him realizing that talent if he ever does but the fit is not there like it's the opposite mm-hmm. of of the circumstances with guys like what we just listed it's and taking I, it's taking a project into a second contract is what it's doing it's yes. it's like when we talk about a draft and we talk about like jabari is still a project now don't don't get us wrong the reasons for that are not all entirely his own um would the case be completely different if he never suffered the injuries i think the answer to that is very obviously yes whatever way that ultimately plays out, I think the answer is yes, right? Would the case be different if he had a better head coach throughout his tenure as a rookie um, building building up to this point? I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah. But he is not that guy. He has gone through the years he has gone through, picking up bad habits, not fixing them. Um, I think souring generally on his situation, on his role, he has a chip on his shoulder about everything that's happened to him, which I understand, which may be able to be channeled into a positive. I don't know if that can happen with the books. One of my big concerns with this is Jabari wants a real contract, right? 
And there's there's a chance that all of this could play out, that no team really wants to take a risk, that the Bucks, if they extend them the qualifying offer, which you would imagine they will do regardless of how they're feeling, but they have not done as of our time of recording, which is in itself a little bit unusual. But if they extend that and they have the rights to match, I mean, like on, on what do you want to bring him back? On what is he worthwhile bringing him back when he doesn't fit? You can at least say with Tony Snell, he brings the best out of Giannis. He, if he doesn't play well, he doesn't. But you can at least say, okay, a guy who's going to shoot and defend in that role, that's a key to getting the best out of Giannis. Jabari may make Giannis worse in his time on the floor, and you're betting on a guy who, if he doesn't get the big contract, if a team doesn't come in with an offer, that the books are prepared to then say, okay, we're going to match this big offer and keep him. If he doesn't feel well paid enough, you could have real resentment. You could have Jabari where Bud, and trust me on this again, as we talked about, I mean, whether he tried to start him or not, if Jabari was doing the things defensively, he's done for his whole career, not for not for a game and a half in the playoffs, not for a game and a half out of his pro career today, but for his whole career. If he does those things, he'd be on the bench. And if he feels he's underpaid and he feels like he's not getting the opportunity to show what he can do and he's on a three-year deal, how does that work out for the best for Jabari and the books? I, I don't think it serves either side. And it's a really weird situation. I, that just This whole sequence of events have kind of put into motion. This isn't just any one thing. I think this is... I, I kind of tweeted about this a few days ago. It's something I feel generally... I, I don't think outside of people who... Um, really closely follow the books, cover the books in the capacity we do, or, you know, people who are just watching every single game, reading, listening to every single piece of content they can get their hands on related to this team that have lived through Jabari's whole career. And I mean, particularly the downs of it, the downs being most relevant and how some of that has played out even more recently. If you haven't really seen a lot of that, I don't think the sense of just how weird this is and how many factors are leading into this is apparent externally. When you read general, and I mean pretty smart general NBA writers, talk about this situation, not all of them, certainly not all of them. As we mentioned, Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz were pretty kind of on the money, I think, on the situation, as you'd expect from those two guys. But there is a lot of, it's a lot of stuff that I feel just doesn't get how strange the situation is. And that matters when we talk about this because it it shows how difficult this whole thing is for the books to figure out. I think the place I'm at and my sense on this, my sense of what the books were thinking, have been looking to do, what they may be looking to do, I think that's changed significantly in the last few months. In fact, I heard some positive things a few months ago that I don't feel like could possibly apply right now and may even have swung dramatically in the other way with some other factors with all of that in mind i i just don't see the win-win here i i don't see the way where this can be made to work all that easily because if we give them the benefit of the doubt on everything so let's for, say for example we say maybe jabari's this way because the coach he had okay well Yanis had the same coach middleton had the same coach so what is what is the upside or how how closely are you gonna have to work on Jabari to get the best out of him? Is it worth the work you'd have to put in to potentially not even get that? You're always gonna have the specter of injuries looming over him in an incredibly serious way. 
and then what's the best version of your team if you if you were building from scratch and you had Yanis and you had Middleton and you had Brogdon or whatever you want to do if you have six guys from this roster and you say keep them and then you're building from scratch would you be bringing a Jabari type player in to play the kind of role Jabari is going to want to play I don't think so and part of this may be that he gets healthy he stays healthy he fixes any issues he has with his attitude or he he gets over some of his issues and he becomes an all-star as you mentioned he has the ability to do those kind of things we know that i say fine i i think the books have to be prepared to move on if they're going to move on you don't keep the guy in case he becomes an all-star when in moving on you may have the flexibility to go and sign an all-star next summer you know what i'm saying there's a like his path to that is probably slightly longer odds than some other options they may be able to explore if they don't get locked up in that. And that's kind of the complication. And I think that's where it works against the chances of Jabari coming back is you weigh all the factors. I think there's a there's a more likely or an easier route to building your team beyond that by moving on. And there was a point, and I'll be completely honest on this, where I didn't think that was the case. I, I was someone who very strongly argued, you bring him back. You won't get a player of this talent otherwise. That may still be the case. But his talent may not be as important as we thought because a less talented player who fits better, who is guaranteed or not guaranteed, that doesn't exist, but is, has a better chance of being healthy for the next three or four years could be worth so much more to what this book seem ultimately becomes than going, oh, well, Jabari is super talented. Look what we are. I mean, it's like... I'm, I'm this is I, the name that comes to mind and saying it is not what I'm looking to imply in terms of Jabari, but someone like Greg Oden. You don't say Greg Oden could be the most dominant center in the league. So it's we, Derek Rose, it's Derek Rose, <laughs> it's Derek Rose. Yeah, money. yeah, fair enough. I, I think it is. And with that, it's you've got to weigh something up. You, you really do. And I, that's actually that's an interesting one to bring up because I think at the end, the Bulls waited too long. The Bulls waited too long on figuring yep. out Derrick Rose. They waited too long for their MVP to come back. And let's get that clear. That makes the situation very differently. Derrick Rose was an MVP to begin with. With Jabari, mm-hmm. we're betting on a guy who I don't think could ever top out near that level. But you're betting on him to get somewhere he hasn't even reached and potentially making a move that could hold the rest of your roster back in the interim. I, I think it's really difficult. It's not about not seeing things you like in Jabari's game or could Jabari be useful to the books if he's healthy 100% but is he going to be happy to buy into that role in Milwaukee at a lower cost that if everything falls into place he'd have production at that rate I don't know he he could simply be a case that he just needs a change of scenery now and however he plays elsewhere may not have been really all that in play for him in Milwaukee where he may have been played out of position. He may have been played less minutes. All of these factors come into play, and they're not wrong on the books part either because if we're being just pretty obvious and honest about it, they've got two better players at least on the roster. So you can't prioritize things around them. There's at least two guys who are better than them, and you could probably expand it out if you want to say, well, guys who are more useful, guys who their style of play or their ability meshes to a point where it's more conductive to the books winning. 
that is challenging and he doesn't fit that and that's that i think has to be kind of the beginning and almost the end of a lot of these conversations i i don't know how you bring him back yeah i mean first and foremost i, I probably should have said this right away i wouldn't i want nothing more to see him actually be healthy Absolutely. be a productive player realize his potential i'm a fan of jabari perker i just think there's been a com- cumulative effect i thought i think honestly i think that's what we saw at the end of the year there's a lot of things differing factors that you know have defined his stay in milwaukee to this point and as much as a change of, change of scenery where he doesn't have this history of being slighted by any little kid uh, mind games from what reports we've heard after he got fired or, you know, uh, obviously his injuries, all this stuff and whatever he slights that he has towards management for not getting a contract done last year. Cause I think that was a bigger issue that w- he said wasn't a bigger issue, but kept mentioning it. It's like, okay, you keep mentioning this. Like there was <laughs> also, wasn't there some comment of, there was where he talked about when he was asked at some point about it and he I said wish. no not even that don't worry i remember that uh but he alluded to you know i'll talk about everything that happened that didn't happen when i can you know when when yeah. the summer's over and we're true that well then the truth will come out he kind of he made it that, that might have been after that nuggets game i feel like it was after a game late in the season anyway it was in the point where he had started just frequently saying weird things just, yeah uh, was, actually, could it even have been the playoffs. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Uh, yeah. Either way, like <laughs> we, I think that was honestly just seeing something through the window. Uh, the window is open. <laughs> open your window. Um, and I just think, from a Bucks perspective, we are. If you commit to him to a long term contract or just any length of a deal you're going to be pressed with the same questions. And if he gets hurt again, cause that's always going to be that threat is always going to be there. Um, I, I just don't know how you can reconcile with everything that has gone on and say, yeah, that's, that's the guy we kind of want to hitch our wagon to still, because we, you could, again, we could talk about him as this talented player and he's got the scoring potential and I was even reading stuff today about just like, you know, restricted free agents and all that stuff. And he's still the Carmelo Anthony comparison still is lingering there. But it's just I, I don't know. I, I I think there's just a huge disconnect between how everybody sees what Jabari could be, what he, you know, in a perfect world without injuries and all this stuff, and what has gone on in the last four years. Not even just four years, the last couple months, honestly. That's that's been so eye-opening to not only Adam, but to me too, like it's just when you see stuff like that, it kind of puts changes things into perspective and all the other little details you kind of picked up along the way that maybe you didn't like magnify on. It starts to like come, you know, more present in your mind. It's like, oh, that's that kind of ties into this one and this like little details like that just kind of, you know, are in my mind about that with where Jabari's at at this point. I mean, there's why do you talk? why do you want to talk to the bum you know there's like that that quote is i can't remember what else was happening at the time obviously the playoffs were gone but there was something else that i remember saying like if 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 this was getting the exposure we really should get or really if it was any franchise other than the books and any city other than milwaukee like just imagine another player kind of 
considered in the way Jabari was in terms of his team's future, coming out with a statement like that in a playoff series, you'd be going, this is crazy. And again, I think to all of what you've talked about and to earlier, again, to the idea of, you know, well, could he just be, could he be magically fixed with a better coach? I think he, he carries all that baggage now. Like, and I think the damage is done because changing a coach doesn't change the fact that he looks around the locker room and he sees guys who are in the locker room with him anytime he was slighted or perceived a slight from kid or um, that guys know he didn't get his extension a year early and management didn't deem him for that or like all of that only becomes worse if he's on a contract that's lesser than someone else's. If, if he's earning less than Tony Snell, which he is almost guaranteed, I would say, to be earning less than Tony Snell when he signs this deal. I, I would put it at 70 30. I think that that's probably like the top, the ceiling of what he gets, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think it will come to a point where he'd be very happy to see an offer like that. But how does that work if you keep him and he's looking around the locker room and he sees Tony Snell or Matthew Delvadova or John Henson and they're making as much or more money? And he has gone through the journey he has gone through. He was like the chosen one, not just with the books, from a much younger age, from his whole trajectory, through Simeon, through, through, through College of Duke, and to where he is now. Like, he's the kind of guy who, it's funny, King's rumors, whether we take them as anything coming out in recent days. Marvin Bagley something that came out in the draft about Marvin Bagley that reminded me of Jabari was when you have this idea of what prospect wanted to go and play for the Kings and who didn't want to play for the Kings. I can't remember where this was. It may have been on a podcast somewhere. It might have been Jonathan Gavoni with Zach Lowe. It might be. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think that was where it was. And the topic came up of, you know, would Bagley be happy to go to the Kings? Does he want to play for the Kings? And was put... More so than wanting to play for the Kings, this is a guy who's taught he should be the first overall pick. He's the number one guy his whole career. And if he doesn't go first, he's going to want to go second. And I, I tell that that's kind of an interesting mindset to guys who've had that kind of journey and that kind of trajectory. And I, I think it fits in with Jabari because he's used to, if he's not the guy he needs to be, you know, if he's not 1A, he needs to be 1B. And it's certainly how he views himself. And it's something, again, we've talked about in terms of, Derek Rose struggles in recent years. Part of that, when you have injuries and you have anything for someone like that, is the adjustment mentally of maybe not being the player you once were, the player you thought you were going to be, and kind of recalibrating expectations for that is a real challenge. There's just so much baggage there. That's not his fault, but it just may be too far gone. And any attempt at saving that could be to the detriment of Giannis. And I, I I really do. I think anyone who's strongly advocating for Jabari, I understand liking Jabari, I understand still being tantalized by maybe what could happen if he panned out. The other thing you've got to think about, though, is if this is summer of 2021, 2022? 21. 21. And Yanis leaves the book, signs elsewhere. There are lots of reasons at that time, if that happens, that will be pointed to as this could have been why it happened, that could be why it happened. Is the reason you want it to be that they didn't heed the obvious warning signs that were there for everyone to see 
and they got caught up in Jabari again that didn't work out. I think on balance of that, I prefer them to be in a spot where if it all goes, you know, if all goes down in flames, you're saying, okay, we did everything we could to retain flexibility to give us every chance of making the best decisions to keep Giannis, to find the right players to surround them with because we felt the fit wasn't great. There were red flags in every other department and that's all we could do. And there are risks in both. I think that's the thing of, oh, you have to take the risks that you, you do. There are risks in both. Um, I believe it was Jonathan Sharks, the ringer. He kind of laid out something I hadn't thought of before, and I'm not sure how much I believe it anyway, but he talked about the risk of the books letting Jabari walk, as in, would it make Giannis think they were cheap? There's risks on all sides of this. I'd prefer to let him walk, and if you're worried about something like that, you explain to Giannis and say, look, we're concerned about his health. We're concerned about his fit. We're concerned about his attitude. And we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're capped out of what we can be for the next few years based on that. So right now we want to keep our options open and do everything we can to give you the best team possible and give us the best chance of succeeding. What isn't completely rational about that? And don't get me wrong, it is, it is sad. It is incredibly grim. And I do think there's also one thing I was talking about this now and there's another thing if a week from now we're talking about Jabari Parker is you know has accepted an offer sheet from elsewhere is no longer going to be a book or whatever it's going to be I, that will be sad because <laughs> he's a player we devoted so much time to talking about to thinking about to waiting on and it's not how anyone wanted it to end up but i think the head has to come into this more than the heart at this point the books the books aren't in a position where they can afford to be making decisions recklessly with their heart anymore and as I hope people will get a sense of as we as we talk through some free agent options the books could get even with their limited options this summer that will be in our next episode i hope they'll get a sense that you know they can do good things this summer while also moving on from jabari there is a scenario where they get significantly better while moving on from jabari it's not just that you know it's all downhill if they don't get him they won't necessarily get someone with his star potential but how real is his potential at this point anyway? This isn't a guy who's played one year in the league, is perfectly healthy, and has just been under a bad coach. He's been under the bad coach. He has injuries. He has fit questions. He has attitude questions. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel if you're if if we're to sit down and make up a pros and cons list of keeping Jabari or getting rid of him, one side is only gonna win out here, if you're being honest. Yeah. That's true. Like you, you could make a more impassioned case to keep him, but the list is going to be longer for letting him walk. Of all the reasons why you consider letting him walk, um, let's kind of move out of this area of where clearly both of our thinking is on what the book should do, and let's talk about how this all may play out. As I touched on, and very possibly the time we record this is no longer the case. Um, right now, Jabari hasn't been extended a qualifying offer yet. Um, it, it would be shocking if it didn't happen, but I I feel like anything is possible here, really. I mean that anything could be on the table with how this plays out. Saying that, what do you anticipate? It's probably safest to say the books are going to obviously extend a qualifying offer, at least take a look at offers. If they were to do that, how do the next few days, few weeks play out? Do you expect any team to come at them? 
if so what teams do you expect will come what kind of money could they offer what is the what is the scenario that leads to a big contract for Jabari with the books or elsewhere or what's the scenario that kind of leads to not a whole lot for him really I have no idea I think this could really be a lengthy ordeal <laughs> I I just don't know what uh, I think as much as we talk about the Bucks, I mean, if you're another team and you are interested in fine Parker appealing, despite everything that we said, and obviously they, they, uh, you could look at it from a Bucks perspective, Bucks perspective, or maybe more of a fan perspective that they they have the benefit or that we have the benefit of knowing more about Jabari than possibly they do, but. I mean, if I'm in a, like a rival team or another team just trying to sign them to an offer sheet, I mean, trying to like <laughs> determine what price that they think the Bucks say is too much um, to not bring him back and let him go wherever he lands. Like, that's such a – I have no idea. It could, be, it could be, be. It could really be close to nothing. Like, the no. Bucks may not be interested in bringing him back and may extend them the qualifying offer. And fully just to be like, yeah, here's the qualifying offer. Let's do this for appearances sake and save what would be a very, very dramatic moment. And we can always deal it down the line. And hey, if he signs for it, I mean, well, that's not the biggest headache in the world, even if we don't want him. That, that is a possibility, right? I just don't know, though. I don't even know, like, does a team, does a team throw him a lot of money and be like, let's make sure we get Jabari Parker, but only give him a year? I think if I was a bad team and you're the kind of team where you want to take a swing, I think that's what I do. And of course that comes without the security of him working out and then you having him, you know, controlled at whatever price for the next few years. But if you were the bulls or you were whoever bulls, nets, hawks, and you say, what if he, what if he really does figure it out and we can get him for just whatever our cap space is here? Like you're still not going to throw years and money at him. With his with his injury history, take all the other stuff out. There's going to be there's going to be like options and injury incentives too. I feel like that's going to be included. I don't. If someone wants them, they won't be because if you put them in, you're tempting the books to match if they've any interest to match. Remember, as a restricted free agent, if someone wants them, they're going to make an offer to try and get him you know if they're if they're taking the time to make the offer they want to land him so if they do that they're not going to give something that they're like well the books will match that i mean there are other elements of this too um one we we don't know how the books feel i've heard things it doesn't mean they're true or not um we don't know if other teams know how the books feel yep and that is particularly important <laughs> um because yeah, if, if you really are out on them and other teams know that, well, then there is no point probably in extending the qualifying offer because it's just tying up your own cap space and getting into a whole weird game. I mean, otherwise, if teams think you might like them, that's going to impact the kind of deals they offer. Um, the, the King's rumor just seems too hilariously bad to be true. That feels like agent leverage to me. Of which team could just throw money at this and the name you feed out there is the kings or maybe the kings are happy to put that out there just for 
misdirection purposes, misinformation purposes, whatever it is. Who knows what the kings are thinking? <laughs> but I I struggle with, for example, Aaron Gordon. Rumors that the Pacers want to target Aaron Gordon offer him big offer sheet, right? Magic might match that. If the Magic match that and the Pacers have shown themselves to be in the market for a power forward, a lot of upside, are they even going to bother with Jabari? I mean, they're, they've got a good player. They've got an all-star. Can they afford the risk that comes with the baggage of the injury history? And I think you can tick through teams like that and, like, what's the upside? Um, the Hawks, he would take minutes possibly from some players they're looking to develop. Could be Torian Prince, could be Mike, or not Mike Biscott, could be John Collins, <laughs> depending. I mean, Collins plays some four sometimes. Prince could play the three or the four. That's not ideal. And then what if he works out and he's good and he helps you win games? That's not your goal right now. You want to develop. You don't want to get too good if you are the Nets. That's not it. Uh, maybe the Nets. <laughs> I think the Nets are the team most in a position still where the swing would make sense. But the thing we've got kind of to inform that decision is that the Nets just seem way, way too smart for that. Like way Plus, too smart. Uh, a Boonholzer acolyte, Kenny Atkinson. I don't think that's another. I'd be, I'd, I'd struggle to make that connection that definite because I, I think, look, the there's still an asset collection, right? The, the Nets might have ways they'd like to run things and players they'd like to have on the roster. The fact is, they're still trying to recover from like the whole, the whole cupboard being emptied of picks and just getting what they can. And I think. They're the kind of team you'd say they probably consider it. I gotta do it. Um, a lot of people threw Dallas out as an option for quite a long time. I think it's safe to say that one is gone. They yeah. they have they've got the most ready-made <clears throat> rookie, likely rookie of the year favorite, and they're now targeting like marquee big men to go with Doncic and Dennis Smith Jr. and Dirk is still there. They're in a different place. They're not taking Jabari Parker. The Jazz is the one that comes out most frequently. I don't really know why, beyond that it's a, a location that Jabari has family and with his his Mormon fate, it may make logical sense for him in some way. Where it doesn't make sense is in terms of what the Jazz are building, what Quinn Snyder is building in the second best defense in the NBA, another Coach Bud acolyte, if you want to go down that road as well. And we're quickly running out of teams. I mean, do like why would Chicago want to do it? They just drafted Wendell Carter Jr. So they've got Markinen and Carter Jr. Could Bobby they? Portis. Yeah, I don't think they have to worry about that one too longer. Too but it, I'm just still saying they. they He's still there. Have. He's there. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe they're a team who could throw a rich one-year offer at Jabari if they wanted to use their cap space there's not a lot of cap space though so teams are happy to you know not do anything potentially reckless and hold on to their space and potentially you know absorb salary get picks it very quickly runs out of teams and that does create the situation where if he gets extended a qualifying offer it could be a point where he has no choice but to accept it which that's that is the most grim reality of it all because he's gone then right but we all have to go through a whole year of 
him being gone and potentially sulking or not working out or it working out and being good and knowing he's gone. I mean, that's the one that I think is, you know, there's no, no element of acceptance to come from that. There's another year of feeling about the whole situation without any positives necessarily coming the other end of it. His situation is just incredibly difficult to gauge. Yep. I think anything is possible. I mean, I would be surprised if he got a really big offer. I would be surprised if the books don't extend him a qualifying offer. I don't think either thing are entirely impossible, and that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Okay. Jordan, we're not done talking about Jabari because we're going to move on to the mailbag. And as you can imagine, books fans have some Jabari things on their mind right now. From at ShaqB94. Despite what you think of him and his mental flaws, Jabari is undoubtedly a very talented and athletic player with size. Is there any way for the books to replace this level of talent in the next two years if they let him walk? We've kind of touched on this. I think the answer is... I won't say the answer is completely no, because the books could have all sorts of space next summer. Like, they they will if they just don't do anything reckless with Jabari. They'll have Middleton come for free agency. They'll have Bledsoe if he sticks around. If they move him, they're likely not going to take back a long-term salary in doing that. They'll have Brogdon hit free agency. Okay, a lot of that may involve them paying out money, but they'll have options. They could go a different direction if they want. Like, I mean, if the Bucks want to go after someone like Jimmy Butler next summer, the avenues are there. They can do that. Yeah, I think they probably could replace his level of talent. That may take a lot of things falling into place. It may be unlikely. But I think more importantly in that question is they can get much better with the cumulative moves they make from moving on from him than they can with the single move that is keeping him. Because we will get into this on the next podcast again. Look at all these teases I'm giving for it. But Jordan and I will talk with some of the guys we like and give a greater overall picture. Um from memory, I think the at the moment the books are about twenty million dollars below the projected tax. Any sizable option for Jabari limits what they can do in terms of using exceptions, because exceptions bring the apron in as a hard cap. If Jabari walks and you're happy to let him walk, and you were saying rights to your other free agents, which is like, let's be real here, nobody. In spite of my feelings with Shavaz Mohammed, it's it's nobody. <laughs> the books can use their full non-taxpayer mid-level. They could use the biannual exception, and they would then be able to use obviously a veteran minimum to fill out the roster. I think mid-level you can get a really, really, really good player this summer. A player you wouldn't have dreamed of getting for that amount a couple of years ago. I think there's even going to be good players, rotation players that you could get at biannual. And there will be some guys that there aren't just enough exceptions or cap space to go around and they have to settle for veteran minimums if they want to stay in the league. There is a route to getting three good players who Coach Bud can basically have his approval on, who can fit a system he wants to build and implement next season and beyond straight away. And all of that could make the books exponentially better next year so the the idea of you know do you just get him do you just get a player who's 
got that level of talent? No, you maybe don't. But what use of his is his talent if he can't fulfill it? Or if he's going to be injured? Or if he doesn't fit and you don't have the way to get the most of his talent? I think they're the questions. This is... I think there's a lot of the talk about Jabari still talks about him as if the books are searching for their star. <laughs> They've yeah. hit the ultimate home run. They've got the superstar. They don't need to play these games. They need to worry about getting the best out of the player they already have. Like... They have a superstar. They have a guy who, not an all-star, just below that Middleton. Who knows? Maybe he could be trending towards being an all-star if he could get anything, anything remotely close to his playoff play to be more consistent across the season. Everything else, can you can kind of get more out of the hole with multiple parts than you could necessarily do with Jabari. Plus, any deal for Jabari likely doesn't just affect this year it affects next year what you can do like you you might want to keep jabari and middleton but if you keep jabari this summer you could be going into the tax to re-sign middleton and having no other options and hoping that somehow this core that wasn't good enough this year hasn't been good enough in years is going to be good enough to keep Giannis around and make the books truly competitive so yeah my answer would be no i think it's unlikely not impossible unlikely but you could get multiple guys who far surpass what you get out of jabari what jabari gives the books out of not signing him within the next couple of years yeah i agree completely um i'm not saying it's not impossible but the different part in this equation is that you gotta as we talked about with you know talking about unleashing Giannis, uh getting the best of middleton and maybe a more idealized role or whatever having but coach bud now that's applies to everybody else that have has battled with inconsistencies like a guy like thon he may not like we're talking about like fit guys and you know jabari is more of the talent talent player if depending on how you rate his talent at this point which is you know varies depending on the person but um that's another different part of the equation that we couldn't have said under Jason Kidd. <laughs> if you can, if if players become good enough, and that maybe a, a star asks out or is trying to get a move, and you're trying to, you know, boost up your window with Giannis and whatever's left, that's always a game changer in terms of how other players kind of flourish under Bud if they do. So. Look at it from a talent perspective, but it's more than that at this point. It really is. For my Chuck B94, again, is a ton Yanis Jabari Chris Bled lineup the most explosive five man lineup on Owen the East if placed in a in an at least average scheme? I mean, exp- is explosive purely like athleticism here? Because otherwise, no. I mean, I don't. I don't know how you build an at least average scheme around a lineup in 2018 that only has one guy who shoots better than 35, 36% from three for his career. So, no, I, I don't think it is. I mean, would it have great runs? Will they have runs where they get stops defensively and they destroy teams in transition? Sure. But is that going to solve problems we've seen in recent years? Can you build an average scheme around that team? And I'm a scheme there, maybe. 
I mean, the question is on O, but I don't scheme. Scheme always is something that I think of defensively. Um, I, I just don't know what offense you build around that group because, <laughs> like, Ton would have to improve dramatically as a shooter. Jabari would have to improve dramatically as a shooter. Bledsoe would have to improve. They can all make shots occasionally, but you're not going to get the kind of space you want for Giannis out of that. I think the ceiling was this year. Because the Bucks were a good offensive team. I mean, it was not aesthetically pleasing by any means, but if you look at their advanced numbers, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's entirely true. They've and that's not unsurprising. Like, and we've said that all along. Just talent can get you a good offense just by things break down. If you've got good players, they'll score. And that lineup would certainly fit that criteria. You're not going to build a scheme though that can beat teams based on what you're running out of that group. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's not possible. And um, from Shaq B94 again, also, if Jabari's biggest problems are mental and effort, does does him playing under the worst coach in the NBA for four years play into the decision-making? Entirely possible. But those habits may be ingrained now. Because they were, I mean... Because I, I think it's, it's why a, it's, why aren't they everyone else's? Why aren't we talking about that with every other player on the roster? I mean, yeah. both things can be true. It can be true that they didn't benefit him. It can be true that it more negatively impacted Jabari than anyone else. But why is he the player that everything would have to be changed around for? You need to completely overhaul the way he thinks as like a 23, 24-year-old to get anything out of him. You know, that's that just doesn't really add up to me. I, I don't think I don't think it's unfair at all to say Jabari is in the situation he is now in part because Jason Kidd was his coach. But the fact that that kind of took hold of Jabari more than anyone else doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily do a whole lot for the encouraging prospects of that changing under just any good coach. Well, the other thing, too, is that we talk about playing out of position. He was playing out of position in Duke. He played center. That's what he primarily primarily played. I believe there was injuries that came over who it was. What do you think his position is? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've heard people think he's more of a small forward. Um, I think he's a four. I, I, I think kind of, he's a four, too. I kind of always think he's been a four, but the books have no choice, as Yanis says filled out his frame there was the time where you could reverse him and have Yanis be the tree that is long move past being productive and i but, think at this point it doesn't you know whatever whatever someone's true position is unless if you're these labels are so muddled at this point just because of how where everything is trending towards but in terms of how you're building a team like the bucks that's a big question to ask because Jabari, at if he were to uh, you know hit a ceiling, he's a ball dominant player, and you have already a ball dominant player that can do a lot more things. Even though he might not be the shooter that Jabari has proven to be on a very smaller scale, there's just it's a different level in terms of how Giannis plays with the ball in his hands compared to Jabari. I think if your position is a big discussion in a not so positive way in 2018, it's, you know, there's a lot of other things that are the problem. 
it, you're not really it's, talking about yeah. position. It's, it's, it's more damning. It's, than it's a coded way to talk about everything else. You know, it's, well, why can't you just be this position or that position? There's a reason for that, which makes the conversation become about position as well. So, yeah. Um, uh, at ChackB94, again, what separates the books from the Kings or any other team where rookies go to die when it comes to young players being in bad positions? Just saying that young players don't work in either scenario, only vets and older prospects. I mean, I think Giannis kind of worked. Middleton. <laughs> Middleton worked. Middleton the young player when he arrived. Um, the biggest difference, I think, in anything that you want to do to compare the Bucks and Kings is um, the Kings have been consistently picking in the top five, or top ten, if not the top five. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they've come out with. I personally everyone doesn't have to agree with this but my personal opinion and i would continue this based on what we talked about last week is that um the books are on an awful run of drafting guys in the first round right now i think if you draft the right guys it's going to become or if you draft the wrong guys it's going to become a less about development than it is that you drafted the wrong guy and i also don't feel like they're necessarily drafting the guys who are most open to development they either need like way too much development or there's not a whole lot there to develop. But they're not kind of hitting that sweet spot where it's like, oh, we could just polish this just a little bit. And, you know, here, this is what we have. There's always, oh, he's kind of, he is what he is. I guess this applies to the second rounders, even when they've been successful too. Or, well, this is a big swing in a project. I, I'd struggle to compare the books to the Kings in that regard. The Kings, I mean, if you were to draft a roster out of players, the Kings passed over. I haven't thought about it, but I feel like if you were to sit down and do it as a thought exercise, you'd come up with a pretty good roster. So, yeah, I, I think there are other factors in that. There's also, just generally, I think drafting is hard, developing rookies is hard, and it's more difficult for a team like the books who are, you know, a playoff team right now and have been on the fringes even when they've been bad in the last couple of years, then the Kings. It's easy to develop rookies if you're the Kings as well. How do you develop rookies if you're trying to get the most out of Yanis and keep him happy? You can't be like, okay, Yanis, you're not playing the last 10 games because DJ Wilson needs to get those minutes at the four. All of it factors in. From at Nick Larson, WI. Since the Bucks might have a hard time bringing a good player into trade or free agency because of a lack of cap flexibility, what are your thoughts on bringing Jabari Parker back on a one or two year contract or Jabari comes back via the qualifying offer? I mean, at this, at this point, Nick, you probably have a feel of what our thoughts are on bringing him back on a one or two year. And if it's a one year deal, it's not, it's not going to really damage you. And that applies yeah. if it's the qualifying offer or if it's something more. The worst thing that happens is you have the opportunity cost of guys you could have got in what I think Jordan and I both agree is a pretty deep free agency class in terms of role players. So you have your opportunity cost, but that's it. You still have the cap space you want next summer. What what do you gain out of bringing him back for one year as well, though? Because what if he what if he's healthy and it all works out and then he's a free agent? You don't have any control over him. He could go sign anywhere, which at this point... Even if he had a good year with the books, you feel like there's a good chance he might just want to get out when he has a chance to. And I, I don't know what the benefit of that is. My answer to this, I think, would be that there are 
there are more routes to the books adding good players through free agency than people necessarily realize or believe right now. Maybe that comes into name value being a factor. Maybe that comes into we're just used to, you know, focusing in on the books and the books have no cap space and their flexibility isn't good. The thing is, that's true for about 70% of the league. And this year, there's just not going to be enough money to go around for free agents. And there are going to be some guys who go cheap. I think that's that's kind of the way it is. That would be my answer. I don't I don't see the benefit of Jabari on a one or two year deal, two years particularly. Um, yeah. One year, what damage does it do? I think you you're talking opportunity cost at worst. But I think that opportunity cost might be something good if you choose to go that route and play your cards right when you do. Yeah, I think another thing that I. You know, sitting here talking about Jabari, obviously made me thought this. I think the other kind of irrational fear that a lot of Bucks fans have is, you know, he goes to another situation and everything that was is looming over him right now with injuries and, you know, it's tweener. Like a different situation, but it's it's a Victor Oladipo fear that the guy who was doing nothing in one place. If you were the Magic, for example and you were trying to figure out what Oladipo was a couple of years ago, and now you're looking at Victor Oladipo and being like, we had this guy, and now look what we need, look what we've got. Yeah. It's all, basically, they're, <laughs> Bucks fans are just afraid of, like, shot and, or, no, that's not it. That's shot and Freud. Uh, what is the word? I think it's German. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Bucks yeah, fans are just Rather than buyer's of- they're kind of afraid of seller's remorse here. Seller's remorse, basically. <laughs> well, seller's remorse is a different question altogether. But yeah, I I think that's something that I mean the books as an organization and I think the fan base gotta be prepared for him. Go and be successful elsewhere. I hope if he leaves the books, he's successful elsewhere. And I hope the books manage to make themselves a better team by getting players who better fit and maximizing their their options. Yeah. The next question. From at Jacob Cage, tree, tree, tree. What is your opinion on the possibility of OJ Mayo returning to the books? Um, there are really good players available again this summer. The guy who shot less than 40% from the field, averaging 13 points per game in the Puerto Rican league, is not going to be at the top of my list. I, I, you know, OJ Mayo is a very talented guy to go back to former top picks who are really talented, but it doesn't work out for one reason or another. There's probably a alternate universe where the books could sign him this summer. And he's already spoken, but he feels he owes the organization something. Maybe he gives them something good. Why, why would they get to a place where they have to explore that option? I don't know if they are. I, I feel like we're in a, we're in a really toxic place with the books where we're just like, they would be the stupidest organization in the NBA. And I mean, right up there at the Kings. If, if they can go from signing Brandon Jennings last year to passing over some options who may be available this year to bring OJ Mayo back to kind of pay them back. I mean, maybe give them a look at some time. Um, you know what I'd say is a good thing to do? Take the Brandon Jennings route if you want to give OJ. Yeah, I was just about to throw that out. Yeah. If he signs it to G League, be happy to pick him up with the herd. You know, you don't have control over that. Um, 
depends on waiver order. And I guess in the G League, if OJ Mayo signs, teams would be like, okay, let's do this. But whether that's, you know, to start the season or later in the year, it could be a Brandon Jennings-esque situation. If you believe in him still and you want to give him a shot, do it with the herd. If he's good with the herd, and I say good because Jennings was not good and got the shot, but if <laughs> if he's good with the herd, then give him a shot with the books and I'll say, okay, this is fine. Um, don't skip all of those processes and give a guy who's been out of the league for a couple of years now a walk straight back in when you need to get contributors and there is no guarantee he can contribute. I see him. I see him more as a mid-season signing more than anything. Not just for the Bucks. I think for. NBA I think teams. he needs. I think he needs to go to China and and play regularly and show that he can put up numbers. Like, I mean, that's not. I'm sure that's not what he wants to hear. Or that's that's not a knock. You can just go overseas somewhere. Go overseas, yeah. prove yeah. yourself, and then teams will be clamoring to add a a bench scorer like OJ Mayo once was could be mid-season if he can prove himself. Um, he clearly didn't do that in Puerto Rico. I think that was part of the plan. It seemed like a good plan to me that he was doing that. I thought that was wise. Um, being released when he was, I don't think they just said, we've had enough OJ Mayo, let's get him out of here. That to me feels like there was an agreement in place. He was like, I'll play here till NBA free agency, and then I'm heading back stateside. I don't know how much, if at all, the phone's going to ring. From a Berlick 54, what's the worst outcome in your mind? The books match a four years, 60 million offer sheet, or Jabari takes the qualifying offer and walks. Also, do you think the qualifying offer talk is just a leverage play? I'd imagine Jabari would be insane to take it given his injuries, and Barlstein would be insane to let him. Um, This is like, there's not even a millisecond's thought has to go into this. If the Options are four years, 60 million. Are you let him walk? Let him walk. Yeah. Like, if you give Jabari four years, 60 million, this is not exaggeration again. That could be what sends Giannis to another city. Jabari could be injured two years through that. Like, you're worst case scenario, you're begging for more dead money. You know, the clubhouse leader in terms of NBA dead money, just looking to pile up more and more. And that's a risk. Four years, any amount is a risk. Four years, 60 million. He might have got that last summer. Don't think he's getting it now. Um, I mean, I don't think the qualifying talk, qualifying offer talk is leverage at all. I think I understand the way Kyle is putting this in the question. Jabari may not have a choice on that. That may be his best offer. Like, with his injuries, he'd be insane to take that. His injuries may be what make him have to take that and that be his offer. Like, those two things aren't necessarily... It's not like he's going to take it out of spite. I think that would be something I I can't see happening. I think he may be in a situation where he doesn't have a whole lot. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he takes it if he feels the books are going to offer six... If someone offers six million on a one-year contract. This is, I don't even know why anyone does this. I think someone's going to make a real offer and not offer at all is my feeling on it. But if someone does that and he feels, well, the books are going to match that and he just wants out of there, then maybe he takes the qualifying offer out of spite and, you know, 
whatever. That still doesn't even make sense. You might as well make more money. I think the qualifying offer could come into play here, and if it does, it's not it's not all average play. Um, if it becomes real, it becomes real because as we're going to talk about, the market is you know incredibly restricted. There are a lot of guys worth paying, safe contributors with track records that you can say they're going to give us this, they're going to make us better in this way. There are lots of young guys with upside who are safer than Jabari. Guys, you could say they might, there might be some star potential there that's untapped and I could go get them. Um, whether that's Mario Hazonia or Nerlens Noel, I don't know. Whoever it is you want to talk yourself into, there, there can be concerns for lots of other reasons. They don't also have Jabari's injury history. Qualifying offer could be real, Nathan. It could be real because if the books aren't crazy on him and they extend it to him, that could be what he has. But I, yeah. I don't know. I, there's so much of this that is so weird. I'll just stress again. I I really believe anything is possible next year. This. Agreed. Including Agreed. the books dumbfounding us, being super high on keeping Jabari for the next four years and signing him to a ridiculous contract because they're the books. I, I don't think it's likely, but hey, is it possible? I think at this point, I'd, I'd be a fool to say it's not possible. Anything is possible with the books. From Anthony Zeno, do you think that Chris can still play the two, or has he gotten to a point where he's just best as a three? Three. I think he can play the two in the same way he can play the four, which is they're not his position, but he can play it within the flow of a game. Yep. The tree is his position. And I think if you are now to say, what is his secondary position? What position is he more suited to secondary? I mean, with his size, with his length, and as the league gets smaller, he's more suited to the four. I don't think it's a good spot for him, but I think he might be more suited to it. Um, it's not really a knock on him. I mean, he's he's not old, but he's getting older. He had a bad injury. I think he is slower. He at least was for spells last year. Although, I think under discussed and when I see criticism of Middleton still it's not it's like it's just been ignored Middleton was brilliant defensively in the playoffs to go with his brilliant offense so I don't think we should completely write off Chris Middleton the defender just yet but I, I think he's he's a small forward who can play the shooting guard or the power forward but I don't think there's a situation where you start him at the shooting guard You'd be really forcing something if you're doing that. And you'd have to have a player work forcing it for. For example, Jabari isn't the player that you move Middleton to the two to put Jabari at the three right now. Yeah, Middleton is better. Play him in his best position. Uh, from at Anthony Zeno, do you think the books will utilize the full mid-level exception this offseason or use the biannual exception or neither? I have no idea. It goes, it goes to what we're saying. I, if it was me, I would be using both exceptions and I'd be letting Jabari Parker walk. If the books bring Jabari back, I mean, they may be prepared to pay the tax to bring Jabari back, bring him back at a significant level and only have minimums to play with. We're on Baywatch by an <laughs> exception watch. To use the exceptions, right? Because everyone may not be totally where it is. I've done, you may have may have read them, I hope so. Um, I've taken a look at minimum targets, bay targets, bleh targets <laughs> in the last few days. And what I have about maximum targets. That's not an option. What about to quote John Claude Van Damme, hard targets? <laughs> well, I, I can at least talk about hard caps, Jordan. Um, 
using either of the exceptions brings about a hard cap like a sign and trade has which is something the books have experience of going back to the the deal they acquired delhi in um those using exception can't bring you over the cap can't bring over the tax i should say and it caps you at the apron which is six million below the tax if the books give jabari anything significant they're looking at having the non or they're looking at having the taxpayers mid-level which is 5.3 million as opposed to 8.5 million. Six uh, player. And that's going to get you out of all of the really good players who might just slip into that bracket. From at njohn156. This is, this is the kind of question we had once upon a time. Long way back. F, marry, or kill. Kylo Quinn, Will Barton, Glenn Robinson III. Otherwise, some realistic players books go after with mid-level exception. Seems like Barton might be outside of that amount, but it should be a brutal free agency market, and books are one of a handful with the full mid-level. You've got a lot of a lot of the right stuff in here, Nate. Um, I don't know on that first part. I'll probably just not answer the first part, except to say I like all three of those guys at certain prices. Um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I think... This is going to be a brutal free agency. A lot of guys are going to be left disappointed, and the books should be one of the teams gladly willing to sweep up those players, embrace them with a mid-level offer. As for who are realistic players, well, you'll just have to tune into the next episode to find out. From at MK Robert. Jeez. Who are your top three free agents you'd like to see the books pursue and the top three free agents you'd like to see them avoid? Current books free agents included if they apply. Um, I, I'm not giving away the guys that I like because, again, this is the next episode. Yeah. Got to keep you coming back for more. Dr. Um, Dre. Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> I, th I think I'll avoid. Uh, Jabari is really kind of at that point for me because I don't know otherwise if you're bringing a guy in I'm not as worried about the... Well, one, obviously they can't go to kind of exorbitant levels to re-sign them. It's Jabari's rights that allow them to do that with him. So you're talking about a lesser a lesser potential cost, which, let's be realistic, we're talking about the books, so could ultimately end up meaning less damage with players from outside. I mean, the big fear would just be Jabari, there's no other player the books are considering that they can pay as much as Jabari who has as great a chance of getting injured seriously during the duration of their contract, of not fitting with the roster, of potentially being a little disruptive with their attitude. There just aren't other guys who do them, and it's not his fault. It's just the weirdness of multiple years, as we've talked about. This is really an accumulation of a lot of stuff. All the weird stuff we've all been through. Jabari's actually been in there for that, and he's gone through more of it on his own individual part. It, it's a weird one. Um, from at Scottish Books 68, who'd be your ideal mid-level exception? Yeah, we just can't answer that. That's gotta be gotta be the next episode. Um <laughs> from MK Robert again. Do you think we're to the point with Yanis where the quality of free agents on exceptions and minimums will improve this season? If not, what did the books Giannis need to do this year to make that a reality next summer? Uh, I'm confused by this. 
How does this apply to Yanis? Do you get this question? Am I missing something? Um, I'm kind of yeah, I'm kind of lost in translation too. If it's if it's in terms of like guys, like the books, in class. If it's in terms of guys, the books can get. I think this is a better class. Um, and there should be some guys. Look, they won't have control necessarily over who falls through the cracks, but there will be good players who fall through the cracks that they will be in a position to make an offer and say, hey, we've got Yanis, got a new arena, a new coach, we're a playoff team, and we can offer you as much as anyone else. There will be players they can say that for. So they can get good players. They can make a really strong pitch financially and in every other way for some players because there just won't be money for everyone to get the deal they want. Yeah, if there if there's some other element to that question, I think we might have missed it. So sorry about that. From at MK Robert again, seems likely that Bledsoe is on the block, and given he's an expiring, it's likely the books will be able to move him if they choose to. What's a realistic haul for Bledsoe without anything else attached, i.e., picks, etc.? I mean, you certainly don't have to attach picks. He is a good player on an expiring deal, and the contract isn't that bad. Yeah. If you can get a draft pick back. I mean, if you get if you can get a if you can get a young player or something or a player on a good contract long term that you want a cheap contract, I mean, great. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. I really I really don't know. I think it would be someone pretty underwhelming, but who again might fit say Bud's ideas of what he wants the team to be better. So they're hoping to kind of do a bit of addition by subtraction. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get a player back where you're like, oh, this is great. Maybe you can get a second rounder back or something, which it's not the full price you paid for the look at him, but you'd say, okay, we're getting something of that back. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know how Bledsoe's trade situation is going to work out. I think they should be trying to trade him. I don't know if there's going to be loads of teams lining up to. I think you'd find someone at some point. In the summer, I don't think so. A team that needs to kind of push it up a level and are just desperately looking for something later in the year, they might be like, oh, Bledsoe's good. Here's a first rounder for Bledsoe. You may be better keeping him to that kind of point from an asset point of view, but the books may be in a spot where they just say, this isn't how we want to play. We don't feel this is the right point guard for us. Let's try and flip him for someone who's more useful to what we want to do. We'll find out. Um, from an MK, Robert again, part two of that question, would you want to see the books make a move to trade Bledsoe based on that expected haul? I mean, personally, not unlike Jabari, I think Bledsoe's playoff stuff really kind of tapped me out on the Bledsoe experience. It was a emotional roller coaster throughout the season that had moments of being awful to watch. It had a really great sustained spell as well. All of his flaws came out at the most important time of the season, though. And questions about fit that were there before he joined are probably... I think the answers might be worse than we expected in some ways now that we've had a year to see him. Yeah. Um, I I would go into it thinking that, you know, you're not going to get much if you get a pick, if it's a decent one, too. I think that would be a steal, but... I mean, if you got a first rounder of any sort, I think you do it. Yeah. 
because you're not going to be resigning him. I, I just don't see any scenario where to resign Eric Bledsoe next summer. Yeah. Um, from a MKE stuff, this is adding on to the earlier question, which we didn't answer about who'd be your ideal mid-level exception. Who would be your ideal mid-level exception signing if Jabari resigns, and if he doesn't? Well, that is a very good question, and you're on the right track. But you're gonna have to wait till the next episode to hear that kind of conversation. Luckily, that's it for us for now. You don't have much longer to wait. You next time you hear us, we'll be ready to talk about that stuff. It will be that that next episode will be the episode, the present episode. <laughs> Until then, <laughs> thanks for listening. Make sure, first of all, I'm going to lead with this at the moment. First of all, read all of our stuff on BehindTheBookPass.com. If you've got questions on who they can get with the veteran minimum, who they can get with the biannual exception, the mid-level, I've done three big pieces. Between them, there are 30 guys they could... I'm not saying they're all great options. I don't think there are bad options in there, though. And I could have gone further. It, give, it will give a sense of hey, there are enough players in this class to go around that they can fall to the books. If you've got those kind of questions, go check them out. On top of that, between myself and Jordan over the last two weeks, we'll say, we have profiled some free agents individually in depth, very much in depth, um, somewhat similar to what we did with draft prospects. You'll find all of them on site under the free agency category. Otherwise, subscribe to our podcast to get that all-important next episode. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Falls and SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, and favorite us on Tune In Radio. As always, thanks to you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.